Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Word of Life Church. Glad that you are here, either online or in person. Glad that you are here with us, March 2023. And I was thinking, you know, it was, it was three years ago that we went into that home quarantine lockdown time. That was a, that was a strange time. Uh, except for you introverts, you're like, woohoo, I get to stay home. But I, for me, it was hard. It was a hard time because I, I, I mean, I love my family and everything, but I love my church family. I like being together on Sunday morning. And it was a difficult time. Uh, one of the things, though, that happened uh, in March of 2020 in that whole home quarantine time is we launched an online congregation. And so in addition to this in-person congregation, uh, we have this growing online congregation. That's a beautiful thing. Don and Loretta, part of our online church. Here they are in person. They made it. And uh, that was one of the good things that happened. But it was, you know, none of us were prepared. I don't know about you, but I had never lived through a global pandemic before. Like I didn't, we didn't know what to do. And so we had some of our staff that were here in March of 2020 and we were discussing what to do. And we had to set up a Zoom call, which was so strange then, now it's normalized, but had to set up a Zoom call with Pastor Brian and Perry because they were in the Holy Land in March of 2020. And so we had a staff meeting with some of our staff in the, in the room. They had a big TV and Pastor Brian and Perry, I think Aaron uh, was there. I think they were in a hotel in Tel Aviv and we were trying to figure out what are we supposed to do? And uh, well, here it is, March, and Pastor Brian and Perry are uh, back again in the Holy Land. And so they are ending the second of two Holy Land pilgrim tours. Uh, so be praying for them. They're going to get started with their next tour here in the next couple of days. And uh, then they'll be back with us in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I am excited to bring the message this morning. But let's pray uh, before we get to Scripture. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Lord, we are your people called by your name. And so we come together in this place and in this moment to worship you. And now as we turn our attention to scripture, may the Holy Spirit work with Holy Scripture and may it cause us to grow into the image of Jesus. May we grow in faith and hope and love today as we sit at the teaching of your word. Speak to us, O Lord, our hearts are open. Speak to us, O Lord, our ears are open. May we hear from you today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Listen to these words from Jesus. John chapter nine, verses four and five. Listen to these words. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus, it seems, was always getting into trouble. People now who think that Jesus, 
you know, was some kind of Boy Scout type of upstanding citizen, kind of a do-gooder type, haven't actually been reading the Gospels. Because if you read the Gospels, what you find out is that Jesus was always getting in trouble with the religious elites, with the, with the religious leaders. He was always in trouble. There's four different places in the Gospel of John where it says that these religious leaders were actually coming together and they were, they were, they were trying to kill Jesus. They were trying to take Jesus out. He was always getting into trouble with these religious types. And in the words of the late John Lewis, he was getting into good trouble, but it was trouble nonetheless. They really, really wanted to take him out. Listen to what Jesus said to these religious leaders in John chapter eight. Jesus said, I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there's no place in you for my word. See, Jesus had enemies. He had real enemies, not just the kind of enemies that talk behind your back or post ugly things about you on social media. Jesus had real enemies, people that were trying to take him out. It's like Jesus was living in a Breaking Bad episode. He was always on the run for his life. See, shaking hands and kissing babies is not the way that prophet types like Jesus got into trouble. Rather, Jesus was in this good trouble because as a prophet, Jesus was calling out the hypocrisy and the injustice of the very rich and powerful, the ruling elites. Not only that, but he was breaking their rules. Jesus, you could say, I think it's honest that he was a rule breaker. This is what happens in John's gospel chapter nine. Jesus was healing, had the audacity to heal someone on the Sabbath day. This is sort of what happens in, in John chapter nine. It's the Sabbath. In the Jewish world, the Sabbath day was a day of rest. From sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday, you did no work. And there were plenty of religious police, plenty of religious leaders to make sure everyone followed all the rules. You rest on the Sabbath. You don't work on the Sabbath. You rest. You don't practice medicine on the Sabbath day. But here comes Jesus on the Sabbath. And he sees a man who was blind. And so Jesus comes up to the man and he does the strangest thing. Jesus spits in the dirt and he reaches down and he begins to make mud with his spit and the dirt and he rubs it in the eyes of this blind man. Now, now just, just on the surface level, that's kind of gross. I mean, I'm no clean freak. I'm no germaphobe. I'm really not. I just like to be clean, right? I don't want dirt on me. I don't want mud on me. I don't want no one spit on me. It's kind of like when your mom would give you a spit bath when you were a kid. Did that ever happen to you? Right? You have a little smudge on your face and your mom be like, you know, it's like wiping that off. I hated that as a kid. I'm like, mom, get a washcloth and some soap and water. I don't want your spit all over my face. 
Apparently this blind guy though, he didn't mind at all because when that mud went all up in his eyes, Jesus sent him to go wash. And when that man washes the mud out of his eye, eyes, boom, he can see he is healed. So the blind man didn't mind the, the spit mud, uh, but let me tell you what, those religious leaders who were watching all this, they, well, they cared a whole lot because even though this man may have experienced a miracle, something wrong happened. Laws were broken and they were upset about it. So they call the blind man into their office and they enter into this barrage of questions. They're asking this blind man, now, now what happened? Like, like what now, what, who did this? And, and wh- how, how can this man be a prophet and heal on the Sabbath day? How can a sinner, come on, come and tell me, how can a sinner be used by God to work a miracle? And he did what again? And, and now, now who were you? Now, wait a minute, were you born blind? Hey, someone call his parents in here. Find this guy's parents. Was he even blind? Wait, wait, who, who's at fault here? Well, maybe it was the parents. Maybe it's this blind guy. Now, wait a minute, blind guy. Tell, tell us one more time. What did he do? He did what with the mud? And I imagine the, the former blind man, he's just standing there like, uh, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see. But that wasn't enough for these religious leaders. That, they weren't satisfied by that. They didn't believe that a miracle could happen at the same time laws were being broken. So they kicked this guy out of their office. There's no way that Jesus could come breaking the law and work in miracles. But Jesus came from heaven to earth for work. He came to show up and do work. And it was constantly the work of Jesus that was getting him in trouble. Because again, the law, the rule was, you shall not work on the Sabbath day. So when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he emphasizes his work. Again, John chapter nine, verse four, Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Jesus was not shying away from these religious leaders upset with him. Instead, he was kind of sticking it to them because they were saying, you can't work on the Sabbath. But he says, what I have come to do is be the light as the light of the world, doing work, doing good work. And as we are following in the footsteps of Jesus, how many followers of Jesus do we have in the house today? As we are following in the footsteps of Jesus, we are called to work the works of God just as Jesus did. Now that doesn't mean you gotta go spitting in the dirt and rubbing it in people's eyes. Please don't do that. But we are called, we are in fact created to walk in the ways of Jesus and to work the works of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, Paul writes, for we are his workmanship. We are his craftsmanship. The word there is is the Greek word where we get the English word poem. We are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
This is why we were created in the image of God. This is why we're being recreated in the image of Jesus as God's masterpiece that we might do good work. And I don't know what your thoughts are about work in general. I don't know what you think about your job. I don't know what you think about your boss. Oh man, you wanna talk about bosses. Let me tell you about my boss. He is a wonderful human being whom I adore and love. I got nothing bad to say about my boss. I don't know what you would say about your boss. I don't know what you would say about your job. I don't know what you would say about work in general. But for Christians from the very beginning, we have seen work as a gift from God and that work is good, right? Now again, you might not like your current job. I understand that. But work generally is something that's very, very good. So in the very beginning, we rewind the tape all the way back to Genesis when God creates man and woman, male and female, God gives them work to do. They were supposed to name the animals. That sounds like fun to me. I would have enjoyed that. They got to name the animals. They were to tend the garden. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This all was given to them. This good work was given to them before Genesis chapter three, when the story of humanity kind of goes off the rails, when sin enters the story and things get all messed up. So before all of that, God gave us work and it was good. Work as a part of God's good creation is a good thing. Remember that tomorrow when you're back at work and you're having a hard day. Remember, this is good. Work is good, it's given to us by God. And so as followers of Jesus, being now recreated in the image of Jesus, we've been given at least four different kinds of work. And that's really what I wanna talk about today. Four different kinds of work. So if we are to work the works of God, and I believe that we are, what is that, what's the shape of that work as followers of Jesus? I think there's four kinds of work. Number one, we have been created for the work of faith. Faith, that is the act of belief, believing in Jesus. This foundationally is our work as Christians. Jesus said, this is in John 6, Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So before we do any other kind of work, we have this work of faith, this work of believing in Jesus. And faith is not merely having all of the right answers. Faith is not about having all of the right knowledge about God. Faith is not about eliminating all doubt and all questions. Actually, I believe faithful kinds of faith requires us to wrestle with our doubt and to ask questions. I mean, throughout the scriptures, we have examples of people who have the audacity to question God. And so a part of growing in faith is not ignoring our doubts, not suppressing our questions, but asking those questions. That's a part of the work of faith. The writer of Hebrews defines faith like this, Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Faith's not about having all the answers. Faith is a kind of assurance. We could think about it this way. Faith is a kind of confidence. It's not having all the answers, but it's having enough confidence, enough assurance in God that we can put our trust in Jesus. Right? Because faith is much more about trust and allegiance. Who gets our devotion? Faith is much more about confidence. But what we see here is that faith is a confidence in things that are not seen. Here's the work of faith is we believe in things that we cannot see. It's things that are hoped for, things out in the future. So in other words, faith has its orientation towards the past, right? Based on what God has done. So we trust Jesus based on what we know about what God has done in the past. Faith orients us towards the past. Hope orients us towards the future, right? What God will do. And we need both of those. But it begins with faith. It begins with this unseen confidence in God. One of the ways I imagine this is think about the substructure for like an interstate bridge. So if you ever see like an overpass that's lifted up or a big four lane interstate going across a bridge, they're held up by these giant cement pillars that, that hold them up. And I kind of imagine that faith is a little bit like that. Because if you think about those pillars, those pillars have to be dug deep within the earth. And if it's a bridge that's holding up, it's like below the surface of the water, all the way down on bedrock. So that those pillars, they're, they're, they're dug deep into the earth and they lift up into the sky and they hold up a four lane interstate. I mean, when you're driving on it, you don't even think about those cement pillars that are holding it up because it's unseen. You're just driving, right? Uh, Jenny and I were just on the 229 double-decker um, you know, interstate, which I hear they're going to tear down, by the way. That kind of makes me sad. I've always enjoyed driving on that. But you know the one I'm talking about? You got, you got the Missouri River on one side, and, and it's double-decker. So when you're northbound, you're on the top deck, and you can see all of you know, downtown St. Joe. What holds that up are these massive cement structures. And that's kind of the way I imagine faith. Before faith is a work that we have to work, I think faith is a gift. God gives us faith. It's like God is burying faith deep down into our hearts that it might be the structure that holds up our entire life so that we can become the people who look like Jesus. And so faith is a work and faith remains a work throughout our journey because the real work of faith comes when tragedy strikes. I mean, isn't that the truth? Like it's easy to believe in Jesus where everything's going my way. I have everything I want and all my prayers are answered to my satisfaction. That's easy. But what do you do on the day of tragedy? What do you do on the day of disillusionment and disappointment? What do you do on the day when it seems like life is just crashing down upon you? On that day is when you learn to work the works of God in this area of faith. See, I always tell people when they're in that moment that all you can do is cling on to what you know to be true about God, even though everything around you is saying the contrary. Four different 
kinds of work. The first one, we're created for the work of faith. The second one is that we are created for the work of repentance. We're in the season of Lent. It's a season where, among other things, we pull back a little bit for some self-evaluation, self-reflection, for confession and repentance. Martin Luther, in his very famous 95 thesis from the 16th century, opens it with this line. Luther writes, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And I agree with that. Repentance is this daily realignment to the ways of Jesus. That's the way I think we should think of repentance. Repentance really means just to rethink. That's what it means. And I think Martin Luther is right that, that the entirety of our Christian life is one of daily. Repentance is not a one-time thing. We do it over and over. We are constantly rethinking, realigning our lives to the ways of Jesus. It's why when we pray in the morning, we pray that prayer of confession. And before we come to communion, we pray that prayer of confession. And we say that we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. I pray that every morning, that I humbly repent. Repentance becomes this daily necessity of rethinking things in the light of Jesus. In some way, repentance is a way to think about what some people call deconstruction. I've never been much of a fan of the, the term deconstruction because I think it's kind of harsh, but I know it's what's in vogue now. It's what, it's what all the young people call it these days, deconstruction. Um, Brad Jerzak in his new book, um, Out of the Embers, says there's a lot of other metaphors for deconstruction. There, there really are, there, there's Christ-like metaphors. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us lots of metaphors. And one of them is, is repentance. Because really, I think what people call deconstruction is just a normal part of the Christian life. It's just, it takes some of us years to get to that point that we're ready to rethink some things. I mean, really for me, I don't even, I don't like deconstruction because it's so harsh. I prefer just using the term maturity or growing up, right? Because as you are growing up, you have to rethink some things, right? Isn't that true? Think about your life, right? I'll give you an example. There was a time in my life that I believed that on one night, one man brought Christmas presents to all the children of the world. Stand here and testify. I believed in Santa Claus. I probably believed in Santa Claus more than most of my friends. Uh, that's probably true. Because even though I was kind of always a logical, kind of inquisitive kid, I also was very imaginative. Right, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, you do the math, a kid growing up in the 80s, I had an imagination that was shaped by people who lived a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. So I was an imaginative kid, right? Christmas rolls around. You get up Christmas morning, the cookies gone, the milk gone, presents there. And then one day I was like, Wait a second, how can one guy take presents to all the kids all around the world on one night? Now listen, I didn't have to deconstruct Santa. 
I just grew up. I was a kid. I thought like a kid. Then I became an adult. I didn't deconstruct Santa. Why would you want to deconstruct Santa Claus? I mean, I love Santa. I still love Santa Claus. Santa Claus came to one of our Christmas Eve services a couple years ago. True story. In between services, it was one of the later services. I came out in the sanctuary before it began and way back there in one of those back sections, there he sat, red suit, black belt, white beard, red hat, Santa came to worship Jesus, Word of Life Church. So no, I don't want to deconstruct Santa, but I had to, I had to rethink. I had to rethink some things. See, as you're following Jesus, if you want to grow, and I hope that you do, you're going to have to rethink some things. There's a time you thought, well, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And then you are good people and bad things happen to you. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. I got to rethink some things. This is the normal work of the Christian life. Every day, it's this daily realignment. It's this opening to rethinking things. So if you're in that moment, whether you call it deconstruction, repentance, maturity, if you're in this moment of, of really rethinking things, just know you're, you're welcome here, right? We're, we're the kind of church that acknowledges this is normal to ask questions and to rethink things. This is the normal work of God, this work of repentance. So we have this work of faith, this work of repentance. Number three is we are created for the work of justice. Now, I know some Christians, they get really nervous when we start talking about justice, because I know it sounds a little bit like politics, but really justice is a Bible word. Justice is a word that belongs to the people of God. Do your own Bible search and study on the words righteousness and justice because they really do go together. This is, a, this is a Bible word. Politics is about policies and laws and, and elected officials. And I know how you all feel about that, Blech, right? Justice is about God's work of setting right a world gone wrong. And the way it's portrayed in scripture and in the life of Jesus, justice is not a side hustle for God. It's not tangential to what God is doing because God loves justice. This is what's proclaimed in the Psalm, Psalm 33, 5. He, that is the Lord, he, God, loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God loves justice. It is his work of setting things right. And it's the task of the church to make disciples who are fit for that mission. Disciples who are willing to say, yes, I want to participate in what God is doing to set right a world gone wrong. And the beautiful thing about the body of Christ and the church is it seems to me that God gives us different justice burdens. Right, so when we think about justice, we think about God setting things right, particularly among people who are powerless, who are marginalized, who are kind of pushed to the edges of society. Right, so we're thinking, about, we're thinking about the poor. We're thinking about the homeless. We're thinking about those who are widowed, orphaned, those who are abandoned those who are experiencing racial injustice, those who don't have enough. The work of justice is about giving dignity and life to people who are on the margins. 
And the beautiful thing is that God will give us different burdens for different injustices in our world. This is what I found out. So see, for some of you, God is gonna stir within you a burden about homelessness or poverty housing or uh, caring for women who are escaping domestic abuse. Or some of you have justice burdens around racial inequality or economic inequality around the world. And the thing is, is that we each have to seek God and ask God, what burden are you giving me? God, how can I partner with you in this good work of justice around the world? And the beauty of the diversity of the church is because we have different burdens, we're gonna find ourselves being involved in different kinds of activities and all for the glory of God. This is the good work of justice and we're created for it. The last one I wanna talk about, number four, is that we are created for the work of worship. And I think faith is the foundation. The work of faith is the foundation. We get started with faith. And yes, a part of that is this work of repentance. And we are called as a gathered people then to be scattered into our neighborhoods, to, to work on, the, on behalf of the city, to, to serve and to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think all of that is fueled by this work of worship. You know, we, we call this gathering on Sunday morning a worship service, right? This is why we're gathered here. We come here not to be entertained, but we come and we show up for work. See, this is not a worship show. It's not a worship performance. The people up on this platform aren't performing for you. The people on this platform are leading you so that all together we can enter into this work of worship. And honestly, it requires a little bit of sacrifice. Even when you are gathered with us online, you got to set apart. There's a little bit of sacrifice you have to bake in your morning to be with us. And so I kind of want to bring things to a close with a few verses uh, from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to start with verse 12. Hebrews 13, 12. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his blood. We're in the season of Lent. This is the time when we want to focus in on Jesus and his sorrow and his suffering. And here, the writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus suffering outside the city gate. Jesus was not crucified in town. It was out of town on this hill called Golgotha. There Jesus was crucified. He suffered on the cross outside of the city. And, and here, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, the reason why. Why is Jesus dying? Well, here, the writer of Hebrews says, to sanctify the people by his own blood. There's something about the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, right? So we, we, we used to talk like this, like we sing songs and, and think about sort of being washed by the blood. There's something about the blood of Jesus that can wash the stain and the shame and the guilt associated with sin. There's something about the blood of Jesus that can break the bondage of sin over our life. And there's something about the blood of Jesus that sanctify, the word sanctify means to be set apart for God's own special purposes. 
That's what we're thinking about during the season of Lent. He goes on, verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. No, we're not called to run towards abusive relationships or stay in abusive relationships. Rather, the writer of Hebrews here is admonishing us and preparing us that just as Jesus suffered, so we're going to have to suffer. A part of the normal Christian life is doing hard things, enduring hard things. And it's the ability and willingness to suffer and yet do so with humility and joy. Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So we, we live in this city and we, we love this city. I, 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 was, I grew up in St. Joe. I love St. Joe. Uh, Wes and Amy Simmons doing a great job with the Joseph Company that I think is an act of God's justice for the benefit and the prosperity of our city. And I'm all for it. I love our city. But ultimately, this is not our final home. It's not this city, it's a city that is to come. And no, I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die. I'm talking about when Jesus returns and he brings heaven to earth. This new Jerusalem that Revelation 21 talks about. That's the city we're hoping for, where God is with God's people and there's no pain there and there's no death there and there's no suffering there. And he wipes away the tears from all of our eyes. That's the city that we're looking for. Verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Because Jesus suffered for us, because Jesus sacrificed himself for us, what do we do in return? We offer the sacrifice of praise. That's the work of worship. And worship is not just thinking good thoughts about God, even though that's actually a good practice. We call it meditation, but it's, a good, it's good to think good thoughts about God, but that's not worship. We don't come into this place and online to think good thoughts about God only because worship is an expression. Worship is something that we do with our whole being, where our mind and our heart and our emotions and yes, our bodies all get involved to express our love and devotion to God. And it is this work of worship that I believe fuels all the other work that we do to the glory of God. Amen. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. Before communion, I'm gonna invite our worship team to come up to the platform and they're gonna lead us in a song of worship, one more song of worship before communion. I want to give you an opportunity to put into practice this work of worship. Because some of you still, I think, just don't like, not so sure, like, okay, so I'm coming here. What am I supposed to do? Because you come into what feels like a theater and we lower the lights and the lights come up on the stage and you see people up here, you're not so sure what to do. Well, I want to help you. What we're supposed to do is worship Jesus together. And so what I want to do in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand just a second. And as we enter into this song of worship, I want to encourage you 
to enter into the sacrifice of praise. In other words, I want you to do something perhaps that you haven't done before. Maybe you do something that you feel uncomfortable doing. Because as, as we express our worship, we, it is it's a whole being thing, mind and heart. But it's not just internal, it gets expressed in our bodies, in our posture, in things that we do. So stand up with me. Cause you're gonna have to get that body standing up. And so as we enter this song of worship, maybe you're not one who likes to sing in church, but let me invite you in this song to sing. We keep the volume at a certain level so that you can sing out loud and not be so self-conscious about it. That's a good thing. Or maybe as we sing the song of worship, you might just think about lifting your hands in worship. Okay, maybe not one hand or maybe not two hands, maybe just one hand. Maybe the waving at Jesus, that's fine. You can do that. There's an ancient posture of palms up. You know, it's, it's, kind, of the, it's kind of a hold the baby, hold the baby, hold the baby. Maybe you wanna try that for the very first time. And I know you're feeling all self-conscious. You're like, oh gosh, people, what are people gonna say? We have gathered in this place to worship Jesus and not the people around us. Because I don't know about you, but I know what God has done for me. I know who I would have been if God had not intervened in my life because all of the good that I see in me is the good that Jesus has done. And so when I'm here every Sunday, I want to express my love, my devotion and my gratitude to the Jesus who saves, to the Jesus who is here. So church, I'm giving you one opportunity, one moment, one song before we come to communion. Let's together express our worship to God. Let's sing.